0: everybody. I hope you guys are uh, having a great morning and uh, are uh, appreciating pajama church this morning. Uh,
1: Hey, if you're in your pajamas this morning, give us a thumbs up so we'll know who's tuning in. Uh, But wherever you are, feel free to sing along with us this great hymn. Well, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Yes, there is power, power, one working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, there is power, power, one working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Yes, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus your King there's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. Yes, there is power, power, one working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, there is power, power, wonderworking working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. All right, we're gonna do something different now. Nobody had to get up and get the kids ready, so you ought to have some extra energy this morning. So we're going to double up on our powers, all right? We're going to sing this chorus, and instead of saying, power in the blood, we're going to double up. We're going to do it double time. See if you can keep up. Well, there is power, 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 wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, there is power, 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 wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb amen. One of my favorite hymns. And we are uh, leading up to Easter time. And uh, so good. Next Sunday, i will actually be Palm Sunday. And uh, I always think about this song around Easter. It's one of my favorite hymns of all times. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll change trophies and shame and reproach gladly bear. And he'll call me someday to my home far away, where's glory forever My trophies at last I lay down, and I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I heard a new song a couple of weeks ago and uh, man it just really stirred my heart and I want to do it for you this morning. It talks about all the things that God created and all the things that he sent. But this morning I'm so grateful that he sent Jesus just for me. Was needed to set my soul free when he said, Jesus, he said. My God could do what no man had done. And he knew what was needed to set my soul free. And when he sent Jesus, he sent him for me. Oh, and when he sent Jesus, God's holy son. My God could do what no man had done. And he knew what was needed to set my soul free. When he sent Jesus, he sent him for me. When he sent Jesus, Pray with me this morning. Lord, we're so thankful today that that all the things through creation that you thought to send and God, they were all to glorify you. And God, they're all beautiful. But God, as we approach this uh, holy week, there's nothing more beautiful than the hope that you gave through your son, Jesus. God, this morning, I'm so thankful for each and every person that's at home worshiping with us. And God, the hope that you sent through that baby boy, Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray this morning. Amen.
2: Just when we thought we were done with COVID, it strikes again And After three years of Lynn and me both avoiding contracting COVID, we caught it, as you well know. We both were out last week. I'm grateful to Tyler Dunn, who stood in my place and and preached the Word of God, and what a great job he did. As we were dealing with it, I started getting reports of others within our congregation uh, who became sick. And here we are again, me preaching to a a near empty room uh, with only a few people here. And you joining in by live stream, uh, according to Kelly, attending Pajama Church. He he said earlier, he said, I started to wear my pajamas this morning and, and I thought, well, I started to wear mine too. Wouldn't that have been something for us to be doing that? wearing pajamas. I saw where a few folks are up and dressed and ready to go and you're not in your pajamas. So, But at any rate, thank you for joining in this morning. I'm thankful for several things this morning. First, uh, that we have the technology available to us that we're able to continue with worship even though it's done remotely and you're at home and we're here and we get to still Uh, sing and preach about the Word of God. Secondly, I'm grateful that we don't have to do this every week as we did in times past. I am looking forward to seeing you back on campus next week and encourage you to be here as we prepare for Easter Sunday a couple of weeks away. Next Sunday we will be observing the Lord's Supper and it's always a special time when we get to do that. I'm also grateful for you, you, your prayers, your texts, your calls and other ways that you reached out to Lynn and me uh, over the past week. I'm feeling fine now and thankful to be released from quarantine for the several days that I was there. And as of yesterday, I finally tested negative after all of the uh, week and a half of of having COVID. I'm curious, have you ever been in a situation where you heard someone sharing a story about something that was incredible that really happened in their life. I mean, it's one of those stories that truly is spectacular. And the person who is sharing the story is really animated as they tell about what's happened in their life. And people around are listening to the storyteller. They're hanging on every word that's being said, almost in disbelief of the events as they unfold. And he ends the story, and the people respond in amazement about the magnificent ending and how it all came together. It was truly an amazing story and deserved the sense of awe and the attention that everyone paid attention to it. And then someone else speaks up and says something like, if you think that was an incredible story... And then they proceed to tell about a time when they had their own story if something happened to them. It's as if the second guy who is trying to tell a story is trying to one-up the very first guy. I know you had a cool story, they might think, but my story is better than yours. And then you, as you've heard this guy say this, you start thinking back, you know what? That seems to be that guy's M.O. all the time. This, this one-up guy seems to always, after he listens to someone's story, turns around and says, well, listen to my story. It's an incredible story. And uh, you start thinking, well, I've heard this before quite often. Like, he wants to be the center of attention, And he wants everybody to hear his story, which is much more fantastic than the other guy's story. Have you ever known someone like that? I have uh, known a few people in my lifetime like that. In fact, there have been times when I have caught myself in that very position of being that one-up sort of guy. And I have to catch myself saying, wait a minute, this is not your time. Let the other person's story stand out. But, you know, the only thing <clears throat> that, that takes the sting out of hearing that one-up guy tell his story is if his particular story is just as fantastic as the one that was shared before. That makes it a little easier to believe and, and to accept that this guy really did have an incredible story and I really wanted to hear it. You know, there's actually an account where a group of people who were gathered for a festive occasion in the Bible, and, and that exact thing happened. A couple of men were in a crowd, that uh, was gathered, and they both had very incredible stories. Now, In Scripture, we're not privy to the conversation, the discussions that may or may not happen between these two. But we we know that there were a lot of people who were gathered and they seem to be having a good time talking about things that have happened. But these two men uh, have their stories of incredible events that uh, happened in their lives. And both of them were actually very spectacular and very historical. As wonderful, as wonderful as their stories are, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, there isn't the main focus of the biblical accounts recorded by three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. The story is really about someone much greater than those two who had these stories. It's really about the worship of Jesus, the Son of God. So if you want to follow along, I want you to turn to your Bibles to John chapter 12. That's the account we're going to use today. These three Gospels tell about this gathering that happens just days before Jesus was to be put to death. Before we get into John's records, it's important to capture the setting of what took place sometime before. In fact, if you back up to the previous chapter, chapter 11... We find the miracle performed by Jesus of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He's one of the ones who has this incredible story. It's an intriguing story about these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother... And they send a message to, to Jesus uh, about their brother that he needs to come. He needs to come immediately because his, their brother is sick and they want Jesus to heal him. And, and they send this message, very personal message that says, Lord, come because the one that you love is sick. It's a message of urgency. And they just know that Jesus is going to come drop everything he's doing and come quickly to take care of the needs of their brother Lazarus. But that's not what Jesus does. And you're so familiar with this. In fact, he says, he sends a message back, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So rather than coming immediately, stopping everything that, it were, that he was doing, we're told that Jesus waits two more days before he comes and by the time he leaves to go back to Judea Lazarus has already been dead for four days as Martha hears that Jesus is coming she runs out to meet him I mean you can can't you see this in your mind that she runs out to meet him and 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 she's all upset and she's crying and it's like and Jesus comforts her when the two meet We're familiar with the response that both Mary and Martha said to Jesus. If you had only been here, we wouldn't have to be going through all of the sadness. If you'd only been here, my brother, our brother, would not have died. And one of the more profound statements that Jesus makes in his ministry, he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die... And whoever lives by believing in me, watch this, will never die. Do you believe this, he said. It's a beautiful promise that today we can hold on to. In fact, all of Christianity hangs on to this, that it provides us hope at a time when we too lose someone, that hope that we're never going to die. It really just transitioned from this life into eternity because of our belief in Jesus. Soon Mary confronts Jesus with a similar statement of questioning belief. Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. And in this, we see a very compassionate and tender side of Jesus as he begins to weep. And the Bible just simply says Jesus wept, it was very emotional very moving time for all that were there as Jesus was touched along with those family members by the death of Lazarus. And we know that Lazarus was not to remain dead in a tomb sealed with a stone. For when Jesus gives thanks to God and calls out with a large, loud voice, Lazarus, come out, the dead man came back to life came out of that tomb and in that is really a primer to what happens to Jesus not long after he demonstrates his ability to overcome and conquer death just as he did with Lazarus in a short time he would himself conquer death and the events of chapters 11 and 12 they're all happening just one week before his own crucifixion and. Death. It's a fascinating account of what takes place in a very unlikely place where the two contrasting acts of worship are about to be demonstrated as this group of people gathered to really celebrate uh, first the Passover, but I think there was a party that hap- was, hap- was, that was happening as they were celebrating that Lazarus himself had come back to life. And in this account that we're about to look at in, in chapter 12, we're going to see two contrasting acts of worship. One is a very authentic act, born out of true love. And one is out of selfish ambition of what can I get out of this as we see from another person. It's a picture of Mary and her sacrifice to worship Jesus. It's true worship done by this woman who loved Jesus. But then there's also a picture of another person who is not there to worship truth. He's only worshiping... Yeah, he's worshiping someone, but it's himself and what he can get out of Jesus. An act of greed and pride with Judas. And before we look at the text, I want to make this this kind of a foundational statement about all of us. And that is this. We all worship someone or something. Every one of us. We worship someone or something. And and a lot of times it, it vacillates between whether it's a thing or a person. Who or what, and it's important to know this, who or what we worship determines the quality of life of the for the believer and the destiny for the unbeliever. So my challenge to you today is to bring into to focus who or what you worship, especially to get us to focus on this in, uh, as we go into this important time in, in the Christian world that we call Easter, and to know that Jesus is absolutely worthy of our worship. So let's pick up the story in John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man who he had had raised from the dead. I want you to notice here that John is careful to give this timestamp of what is taking place. It's only days before the Passover it's the last week before Jesus is to be crucified and as earlier in chapter 11 the Bible says that that the Jewish leaders began to plot about uh, against Jesus and they started planning out that they were going to to cause him to die and, and there was going to be this order given for Jesus to be rested and they were waiting to try to figure out how do we trap Jesus but interesting enough Jesus knows about this And he's nowhere to be found. He's holding up in Bethany, which is about two miles away from Jerusalem. Now, you think about it, two miles, well, that's not very far. In fact, a lot of folks will get up and walk two miles and not... Lose any breath or get out of breath at all by walking two miles. It's not that far away uh, from a group of people, a group of men who were really wanting to kill Jesus. Well, to me, two miles is a little too close for that. I I certainly would be trying to get some distance away from those who intend to harm me if I knew that there's a group of people just a couple of miles away who are ready to take my life. But here Jesus is this close to not only his time of death, but only two miles away from the very people who are planning it. This tells me a great deal about Jesus. Right at the top, it tells me of his willingness to go through with the plan of becoming the resurrection and the life. He was determined to go through with the plan for saving mankind. Jesus, he's not shying away from it. He's not hiding or backing away from it he's out there he's with a lot of people but he's waiting for the time to be just right so a dinner it goes on in verse 2 it says a dinner was prepared in Jesus honor Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him now let me stop here and let's take note of the people who were present at this party at this celebration at this dinner first there was Martha and the Bible says that Lazarus was there. We would see in the next verse that Mary was also present. His disciples were there, and there was another man, the one whose house or home was being used to host the dinner. And in Matthew's gospel, we're told that the man we're told the man's name uh, and that he was present. It is a man by the name of Simon the leper. We don't know exactly who this man is but here's what we do know Simon the leper would have been someone who was well known to the people within the region and once he had leprosy he could have very easily been called Simon the ex-leper but now this man who was once ostracized is allowed to be living in town so it's assumed that he has been healed, and it's speculated by many that it was Jesus who did this healing. Uh, at least that uh, he, he once was this leper, and, and in that case, he had, to, he had to have had a healing, and Jesus is the one who brought the healing So you have this... Good number of people that are gathered together. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of fellowship going on. Now, this is where this possible exchange of stories could have happened. Simon is talking about how he used to be this outcast. Uh, And now he's able to be with his family. He's able to walk around the streets freely without people calling bad things to him. And I'm sure he might have said something like, Well, you should have seen my hands and how they were all twisted and immovable and my legs didn't work very well. Oh, and oh, my face. Oh, my goodness. Full of sores and disfigured as someone who had leprosy would have been seen. And all of a sudden... He's telling the story. My fingers began to work and my hands straightened up and I was able to use them again the first time in a long time and I was able to stand without assistance from anyone or any sticks to hold me up. And and my face, oh, my face cleared up. I wasn't ugly to look at anymore. I looked like I did years ago. What an amazing thing that happened to me. It would have been an amazing healing that he had incurred. All the people would have been, wow, what an incredible story. We remember when you were walking around that way. We remember that we couldn't be close to you because of this. And and now you're sitting here with us. And Lazarus may have jumped up. Ah, that's nothing. Man, I tell you, I was dead. Look at me now, I came back to life. I'm probably thinking, well, they were telling that story. They all laughed and rejoiced, and they were enjoying each other's company. And Jesus is there, and he's maybe hearing all these conversations. We know that they were having a good time. And you can't help but wonder, really, as I kind of think through this, what would Jesus have been thinking as he was listening to this? Because really, he knows while this fellowship is taking place and everybody's having this great time, he knows that his own death is imminent and on the days away. And then verse 3 says this, Here we see this act of worship by Mary. And Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping His His feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what it was that Mary used to anoint, just that the Scripture says that it was, uh, it was very expensive. We know that it was hard to get and, and, and had to come from, from uh, India. Uh, Judas later identifies it as a year's worth of wages. Now, for us, that would be a little weird today for someone to take the time to interrupt a meal and, and pour f- perfume all over someone's head and feet. We'd be thinking, what's all that about? But not in that day. It was a common Jewish custom, but uncommon to do it actually during the meal itself. But here's Mary. She's got this expensive ointment. It may just be her greatest treasure and single most valuable thing that she possesses. And what she do with it? She gives it to the Lord without hesitation without reservation. She breaks the flask so that she can pour out every drop and willingly gives her most valuable treasure to Christ. No one told her that she had to do it. No one commanded her or compelled her. She just does it. And then in a culturally unacceptable act of selfishness, she lets her hair down And begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. She does this as an expression of pure worship, love, and adoration. And this is the first picture of worship that I want us to see. Mary places herself where? At the feet of Jesus. Now she knows fully who Jesus is, and she worships Him with all that she is and all that she has, and she gives her greatest treasure. She is totally transparent with him and open to his presence and worships him. It did not matter who else was in the room. It did not matter what customs were allowed or disallowed. It did not matter what it would cost her or how humiliating it might seem to place, be placed at the feet of Jesus and use her very hair. To wipe his feet she recognizes the moment and she's in the presence of her savior and lord and truly worships makes me wonder when's the last time that you've been caught up in worship in a way that really maybe not physically but it could be Physically falling down as an act of surrender in all of the presence of Jesus and worship Him. Totally, unashamedly worshiping Jesus. A-, a time where you are just all struck of His goodness and His sacrifice, of His love that He has for you, when you totally. And inexplicitly, since His presence and the Spirit is making His presence known, and you feel it, and you know that you really, truly are in the presence of Christ. A time when it didn't matter when anyone else was around you and what was going on, but you found yourself in this undeniable, profound worship of the Lord. Man, I, I, I know that may be hard to do in what you're setting today, but I long for the day when in our church we experience that kind of worship where it does not matter what's taking place, that we're here and we sense through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit God doing an incredible thing where we're just in a sense of awe. Could that be something that we really pray for? this coming week and Easter Sunday maybe revival begin to break out when we're totally surrendered to the presence of Jesus Christ has it been a while since it's been this way for you I can tell you from a first-hand experience and in fact if you've experienced this you know that it's powerful it is indescribable. It's like a cleansing that takes place, this, this, this worship. When you have that kind of experience that I'm talking about, you know that you have experienced and been in the presence of Jesus. We're going into this holiest time of the year when the world really stops to recognize the greatest event in history, not in the crucifixion of Jesus, But in the resurrection of Jesus. And I pray that our church will be positioned to really experience and truly worship, know of what's taking place and how we're to fall down and be grateful for what Jesus has done. But worship doesn't just have to be in a church setting or maybe in that kind of setting that I just described. We have different kinds of worship that we can experience, uh, pure worship. We, we can worship Jesus in other ways and that we may not normally think of as worship. We actually can worship Jesus in everything we do if we just will focus on who He is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, get that, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That, that's every part of our life. Worship to the glory of God. So whether, you, <clears throat> whatever you do, do it all for the glory, for the worship of God. The life of a true believer is really uh, surrounded in that true worship of Jesus. So really what that means is we can worship Jesus in our everyday life. We can worship Jesus in, in, in our marriage. We can uh, love Christ uh, in a way that he loved the church we can worship um, a- in how we parent and we can worship in our singleness if you're single or, or how we live our life financially uh, we can worship the Lord in giving of our time through our service we really can worship Christ in-, in every aspect of how we live and what we do and what we say and even in our thinking through what we give rather than just showing showing up to to give that's what we are about to see in the second picture of worship a a, a totally opposite sort of thing uh, of the focus being in the wrong place of worship do we worship God for all that he is to us and what he's provided for us or is the act of worship about self manifested by greed and pride and we're going to see this in the next verse verse 4 but I mean we see what Mary did but Judas Iscariot the disciple who would soon betray him said notice how how John really focuses on this man and his history that perfume is what Judas says was worth a year's wages it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And not, watch how John describes this, not that he cared for the poor. Again, he's talking about Judas. He describes him this way. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of his disciple, of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Do you know what G, Judas says here? Are the very first statements, I mean... the, the what he is said about Judas and what he says here that uh, talking about the perfume those are the very first words that recorded about Judas himself and and it really describes the kind of personality that he has now keep in mind Jesus certainly knew what kind of person Judas was when he chose him be part of the twelve and as he traveled around and john says that he was actually stealing some of the disciples money all during this time now you stop and think about it though what he says is this couldn't that be used for something greater like giving to the poor sounds like a reasonable person that might make this point that's said in verse five And that would be a worthy cause, and we certainly should do that. And Jesus teaches us that we should do that. Use that money rather than waste it on perfume all at once. Sell it and help the poor. In a way, that might be an act of worship, right? Makes sense. But only if the true intentions are there. And in verse 6... True intentions are revealed of what was Judas in Judas's heart. He was more interested in having money in the call for used for outreach uh, that he personally tended, that he could take a part of his for himself. He's just a few days away. Remember, of selling out the Messiah. To be arrested and crucified for a few shekels of silver, Uh, but his intentions were not authentic. They weren't true. His interest wasn't in really in giving generously to the poor. It was having access to the funds that he himself could misappropriate. He really doesn't care about worshiping Jesus. In fact. He actually interrupts the true worshiping of the one who is loving Jesus and worshiping him. And it's instead of focusing in on what Mary is doing, he starts thinking about himself. What can I get out of this? The focus is on himself rather than on Jesus. What an act of worship of Seth uh, it was as he watched as this expensive alabaster jar of nard was being poured, poured over Jesus. It was as if he was watching his share of the prophets being made off with by another act. We know it's just a matter of time that Judas makes a deal to hand over Jesus to the Jewish leaders. And here we see that Judas is guilty of worship, not of Jesus. Judas is, wo- is guilty of a worship of Seth. And Jesus understands this. It says in verse 7 that he replied, Leave her alone. Jesus sees the intent of Judas's heart. He knew that charity was not about what Judas was really had in mind. Judas' intent was about not about giving to the poor. It's not about an act of worship to honor God or to act or honor Jesus. It's an act of worship of self. So he, she did this, as the Bible says, in preparation for my burial. And rather than focuses on what Judas's intent is, Jesus turns around and says, Leave her alone. Let's focus on what Mary's intent is. It's a pre- preparation for what is to come in his burial. Mary may have been saving this for some other reason, for her dowry later on in life. The family could have had plans for such an investment of this. But God knew that this... was present in the home and it was preparation for the burial of jesus no greater purpose had ever been graced than to have this anointing oil poured over jesus as this act of worship as this act of preparation for what's coming and jesus tells us soon that he would be put to death jesus understood her intentions and he knew her heart And in that, he's pleased and he was honored. So here we see two very different contrasts of worship. uh, Very real in the lives of two prominent people in close association with Jesus. First, Mary makes it all about Jesus. And Judas makes it all about himself. So let me ask you this question. How do you worship Jesus in your life? You kind of size it up for a moment. And think about how much your time do you really spend in how you live your life making it about Jesus? And then contrast that with how much time do you take in your life making it about your life, making it about Self. How do you worship today? Really and truly, all of us, we, we, we have this tension that takes place of who we should worship and who or what we actually do worship. Warren Rearsby said this, God and Satan have this in common. Each desires our worship. God wants us to worship him because he is worthy and he is gracious, and he graciously wants us wants to transform us. A good reason for us to worship God. Satan wants our worship because he wants to destroy us. And worship is the easiest way to achieve that diabolical purpose. This explains why worship involves w- warfare. Whenever we bow to worship God, the adversary will oppose us yeah it's not always easy more we worship the more time we spend in true worship of the one who is worthy of our worship gets makes it easier for us to worship but never forget that we always have satan trying to detract us from that and one of the ways that he does that is say you know what you just really need to focus on yourself you just need to take care of yourself put yourself above everything else but really and truly the new testament teaches us otherwise in fact throughout the bible it says who we're supposed to love first and the greatest commandment is to love god first foremost and then to love others and then you go on it says to love self after that love god first love others But then self comes last. After all, doesn't Jesus deserve our worship for what he's done for us? That he would give up his life so that we could have everlasting life? God wants us to worship him because he is worthy. And in that worship, something really, truly spectacular takes place. As spectacular as it was for uh, Lazarus to have his story and for Simon to have his story, he heals us, he forgives us of our sin, and he makes us and puts us in right relationship with the Heavenly Father. Isn't that worthy of worship? On the other hand, it's easy to be like Judas... Because everything in our culture teaches us that we should watch out for ourselves and live life through the view of, what's in it for me? Oh, if we could be more like Mary, we would quickly find out that time and intimate fellowship with our Lord, and we'll hear His voice, and we feel His presence. It prepares us... To worship Him through our service, through our faith, through our love, and through our obedience. So let me encourage you as you think and prepare your hearts for Easter. Let us begin to just see that our relationship with the Lord is much more than a casual acquaintance like Judas had with Jesus. But yet it's so much more deeper in our relationship of what Jesus has done for us. As we, as a church, as we, as, as a Christian world, uh, as, as, as we are His family begin to think about and prepare for Easter and the resurrection day, that we're able to just find some time to get at the feet of Jesus and worship Him and have that personal, intimate relationship with Him. Now, here's what the Bible says happens when we choose to do that. James is writing, and he says, if you really want to feel the presence of God, if you really want to sense the true act of worship as Mary, sensed as maybe you've sensed in times past, Here's how you do it. It's as simply as drawing near to God. And here's what James did in the end right there. He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What an act of worship that is. To be able to say, God, I want you. I want to be near you. I want to feel your presence. And when I do you draw near to me I challenge us as a church to do that over these next couple of weeks and beyond maybe something spectacular would begin to happen in the life of our church and we would experience an incredible revival to take place in the hearts and minds of our people would you pray with me please heaven father we do thank you for these incredible stories of how Jesus intervened in people's lives. And I thank you that historically we have these written down and, and truly happened. And the Bible records them. But yet, Father, we know that there's, based on the promises that you've given to us, that, that promise of writing things down does, didn't stop in the New Testament days but even today when we surrender our lives to you to you and, and we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and, and we make him the uh, the lord of our lives that at that moment when we invite him in there is our name it's written into the book of life and yeah, the difference that that makes not only for eternity but in everyday life and our right response is to worship you, to worship Jesus. So I pray, Father, that we will worship him in truth and honesty. May it start right now with us. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
0: Hi, good morning. Thank this you Kelly. again for I want to joining take a with us to this morning. Thank you for joining us for today's And let me live encourage stream. you to be here next
2: Sunday message- as we... Uh, will partake in the Lord's Supper and, and that that become an act of worship uh, with our Savior and Lord to, to really focus on the sacrifice that he made. But also as we begin to think in terms of a few weeks away, the Easter celebration, that we would not only be here, but we would invite others to come on that Sunday morning to, to be a part of the worship service to, to truly experience the act of worship that we find through Easter. Again, may God bless you. May God keep you safe. And thanks again for joining in this morning. We'll see you next week. Hi, good morning. This
0: is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, We would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you.